What's up, 11 o'clock? So good to see you. I'm gonna do announcements for 45 minutes. So just buckle in, it's gonna be a long service. I'm just kidding. I am not just the announcement guy here at the church, a popular contrary belief. I do other things here as well, clean the toilets, stuff like that. I'm just kidding. I'm the student pastor here at the Experience Community Church. My name's Corey Drake. If you don't know me, I am honored to be here with you today. And I'm really excited that we get to finish this series up together. Um, so normally what we do with this church is we do whole books of the Bible. We're about to go into James after, after this weekend. We'll be in the book of James for a little while, but usually we take a small breather from that and we kind of do some more topical lessons. So today I'm going to be focusing on the word life and we've worked through several topics today that I kind of want us to point out real quick. This is what we've gone through over the past uh, few weekends and Dave taught purpose and perseverance. Corey Trimble did truth, holiness, and life and uh, it's today with me. So uh, what we're going to do is we'll pray and we'll jump right in. We good to go? Hey, we're going we're gonna to have fun today, all right? Okay, we're going to be here for at least three hours. <laughs> Service is going to be bonkers. So just, who says bonkers anymore? I don't know. I just did. So let's pray. <laughs> okay. Father, I thank you so much for the 11 o'clock, Lord. I thank you for the energy that they bring to this church. And God, I'm so thankful that I get to be on this stage and be a part of this. And uh, so Father, speak through me. I pray that you remove Corey Drake from the stage. And God, I pray that... Um, we can just learn something today. I pray that we can come together as a family, as a community, and God, that we can just be in your presence today. God, teach us something about you. So Father, I pray for all the other churches meeting today, God, or if they've already met, Lord, if they just proclaim your name, God, I pray that you bless them and you work through them, and God, that you grow your kingdom on this earth through them, Father, and that we can come together as one church and we can serve this city, God, because the experienced community church can't do it on their own, Lord, and, and we have to come together and we have to tackle this city. So Father, I just thank you for this church. I thank you for these people and I thank you for this time that we're gonna to have together today. So Father, I love you, I praise you. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay. All right, let's do this thing. So let's do a quick recap. As I was building this PowerPoint, I kind of noticed a trend through these five lessons that we've gone through and I'm gonna just kind of break them down with us together. Uh, purpose is what Dave first taught on and something I noticed is that as we gather our purpose and who we are to be in Christ, as we kind of learn our purpose as in the church and, and as a Christ follower, as, as we understand the Great Commission in Matthew 28, when Jesus says that we need to go and teach and baptize in his name, spreading the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's when we find our purpose and what we're called to do as a Christian. Okay, now what I thought was interesting is that kind of once we find our purpose, once we kind of get into our, our Christian groove, if you will, we kind of experience perseverance because here's the thing about this world that we live in, it's broken. And if you haven't noticed that yet, you will because we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that is full of pain. We live in a world that hurts us. We live in a world where, where we hurt ourselves, where so much happens that sometimes we just can't control it and we all experience pain. We will all leave this earth with some kind of scar, whether we like to admit it or not. Every single person in this room has some kind of testimony and has experienced perseverance in some form or fashion, pushing through the hard times. So once we discover our purpose, we can kind of understand what perseverance looks like. Now, what I thought was interesting is that we have truth and then holiness. And the only way that we can persevere is if we know the truth, God's truth. And if we have a foundation beneath our feet, it's the only way that we can get through and really enact our purpose. Now, as we uncover our truth in Christ and who he is, we study, we pray, we worship, we enjoy and become a part of a community of believers, we start to be holy as he is holy, as Corey taught last week. And then, and then 
we finish with life today, we live a life that models and imitates Christ so that we can go out into this community and change people's lives through that. And I thought it was interesting. I don't know if they planned that or if they even thought that through, but each one of these steps shows us how to be and fulfill this role as a Christ follower. We gain our purpose. We persevere through the hard times. We settle on his truth and only his truth. We become holy as he is holy so that we can live a life that imitates and shows who Christ is in our community and in Murfreesboro. And I just think it's interesting that it fell into line like that. Today, we're going to specifically talk about what it looks like to have an abundant life through Christ, okay? So the, the whole thesis, the whole verse that I'm going to focus on today, focusing on life, this word life, is this. It's John 10, 10. The thief comes to only steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they, that they may have life and have it abundantly. They is you, okay? The world. This is Jesus talking to us about having an abundant life. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Satan, this world, the things that are pressing against us, temptation comes to take and steal from us. And he says, I'm going to give you life and you're going to have it abundantly. Now, I want to specifically focus on the word abundantly because in the church, I believe that this word and this verse specifically has been misused. Okay, so let's break down the word abundantly for a second, what it means to have an abundance of something. This is Webster's Dictionary of Abundance. Existing or available in large quantities, plentiful. It's a very worldly, nothing wrong with this definition, nothing wrong with the word abundant. It's, it's, it's nice to have things and lots of things sometimes, but there's a very worldly, tangible, practical definition of the word abundant. It, to me, when I think it's, it's very exterior, things that, that we have, a lot of something, plentiful. Okay, so I dug deeper into John 10.10 10 and specifically what the word abundantly meant in reference to that verse. So I landed on this word, parisos. This is Greek for that word specifically in John 10, 10 of abundantly. And it means this, exceeding abundantly, beyond what is expected, imagined, or hoped for. This is a little bit different than the Webster's version because the Webster's version is very tangible, exterior. We can touch it, we can feel it. And then I read something like this and I'm like, I'm like hold on, that sounds very internal something within us, something that is from the inside out, hoped for, exceedingly abundant, imagined, something that we can, we can kind of from the inside out bring forth. And then I took it a little bit further and I began to study this word specifically, parisos, and I landed on the word vehemently, which usually is used in a negative connotation, but in this specific verse with this Greek translation, it's defined as this, as moving forcefully or being strongly passionate. I think that's even more interesting. And if we use it in context, an example of vehemently is someone who will stop at nothing until they succeed at something. Now, I hope that we're connecting the dots already, but when I, when I read this, my mind goes straight to Jesus. Jesus, who died on a cross, he stopped at nothing, died on a cross, a very vicious, terrible death, rose again so that we can be free. This is the life abundant that he's offering us. Not this abundant of having things and, and a lot in our life, but having a life that pours out of us in abundance to those around us. A strong, passionate life. A life that is moving forcefully through our community. A life that, that will stop at nothing until his kingdom is brought down onto this earth. Do you see the connection here and how powerful this translation is? If we just sat on the idea that, oh, he's gonna give us life abundantly. Yeah, I'll have a yacht, uh, a Lamborghini, and several TVs in my house. Like, that sounds nice, Jesus. I'll pray for it and you'll deliver. This, is, this verse has been twisted to be self-serving when in reality, 
It's the opposite, it's selfless. To be a force to be reckoned with in our community and then to look at how Christ is gonna change our lives through this life he is abundantly pouring out through us. Okay, so this is the premise of my talk is this idea that we have these two versions of abundance. So let's look at a worldly view for a second. We live in a culture of more. Now, I have a small disclaimer before I dive into this, and I, I, I want you guys to, to understand this. I'm not here to offend anyone. There is nothing wrong with having money, nothing wrong with having a nice house, nothing wrong with having things, relationships, friends, vacation status. There is nothing inherently wrong with these things. There are very wealthy people in this church, okay? There are, are people with really nice homes in this church, people that drive nice cars in this church. There's nothing wrong with that. It's when our identity is found in any of these things that we've missed the mark. Okay, when we find our worth, when we find our meaning, when we find our purpose, when we find abundance in these things, that's where we've messed up. Money, we can talk about money all day. We've seen money abused in church. We see people hoard money, take money, focus on money. We see money spend money when they don't have it. We see money become this vicious, greedy killer of the North American people. House, some of us have to have a nice house because we have to keep up with our neighbors. We live in a constant comparison. I have to have a nice house to prove to people that I'm worth something. Things, we can get involved with our cars, our cell phones, whatever it might be. There are people, literally you buy the iPhone 7, the iPhone 8 comes out two weeks later and you ditch your perfectly good phone and go get yourself a, another $4,000 phone because you can. <laughs> we live in a culture where more is better. Abundance is good. Take all that you can, but never give back. Relationships, now I can harp on this one for a long time, but we live in a culture in what I like to call one-way street relationships. We live in a culture where, where people want to be invested into, but we never want to invest back. What can I take from this group of people? What can this person provide for me? How can this person make me feel good about me? And I'm never gonna invest back because that's too much time on my hands. I, and I, I just don't wanna be vulnerable. I don't wanna be open. We live in a world where relationships have become something that is self-serving. We see this in marriages, we see this in friendships, we see this in dating relationships. How can you fulfill my passion, my pleasures, and my needs? And no longer will I cherish the people around me because I have become so self-serving in a culture of abundance and more. More relationships, more sex, more parties, more friends, whatever it might be, we surround ourselves with people that make us feel good about ourselves. Now friends, you, you say that should fall into relationships. Yes, but specifically when I say friends, I'm talking about our online friends. Well, I like to call them pseudo friends, not real. <laughs> we, we, we strive to have the most Instagram friends. We strive to have the most Facebook friends. We strive to have this life on the internet that is exceedingly abundant in the idea that people like us. People will affirm me in that photo that I took of my cheeseburger because, man, I got the filter on it. It looks good. <laughs> People will believe that I spend 90% of the summer at the beach and I don't work a real job because I'm that awesome. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else is in this bucket, but I get very tired of that. The rest of us are working. You're just chilling at the beach 18 months out of the year, okay? <laughs> Not even 18 months. You get it? It was a joke. Okay. <laughs> We want more and we live in a culture where we feel like we have to have more and we have to live this pseudo life on the internet. I make this joke all the time. It's like, I wish I could post my bank statements on Instagram and be like, I'm broke. Like, <laughs> that's the reality of life. You with me? Like, or like, me and my wife got into a fight today. It wasn't fun. You know, like, 
these kind of things that are real instead of this phony like, oh, we have the best marriage, we never fight. If you don't fight in your marriage, there's a problem, okay? So we have to understand that there is this life that we like to build around ourselves to create an abundance in ourselves to make us feel good about who we are. And in reality, all we do is miss out on the relationships we could be having that are intimate, that are meaningful, that are long lasting. Guess what, friends? It's better to have two close friends that you've invested in and that sharpen you than it is to have a thousand friends that just hang out with you when you're cool. And I learned that in college through and through. The party friends, look, I teach the teenagers, so I'm gonna cater to the teenage side, but the party friends, they leave when you don't party anymore. Sorry, because you're not fun to them anymore. You're stiff, you go to church now, you're holier than them, like they get this mentality. I get it, I lost a lot of friends leaving college. But if we search this abundance in this world, we're gonna be left empty, it's just inevitable. So today we're gonna focus on the abundance in the world and the abundance in eternal and and we live in this culture of more, more, more. What can I accrue to make me feel good about myself? Now what does Jesus say about this? He says, Matthew 8, 20. But Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to even lay his head. Jesus was born homeless. He was born in a manger. The inn keep couldn't even find them a room. He was literally born by like goats. <laughs> That's Jesus, the, the, the son of man, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He could have come down in his robes and, and, and with fiery columns of pillars and, and made this great worship me, worship me. But he decided, he decided he was gonna enter into this world humble. He was gonna enter into this world in the most humble beginnings you can imagine. The son of man had nowhere to lay his head and we get so consumed about what the next cool thing is gonna be or, 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 or who thinks what about us or what my house or my car or my money or whatever it might be. We get so consumed by this worldly perception that sometimes we forget that Jesus didn't have anything. Jesus was a wanderer. Jesus went around and he just changed lives. That's what he did. That's why we still talk about him to this day because he was so countercultural to what was happening. Jesus came into the scene and shook things up. That's why he was crucified because people didn't wanna believe what he had to say. But we still live in that culture. People don't wanna believe what Christians have to say because we've painted this image that we live this lavish life in our churches. Now, this is where we get a little offensive, but we seek abundance in church as well. Luckily, you guys are getting the number one today, the best preacher, so. Hey, a joke, okay, I'm not arrogant, hopefully. The best preacher, the best lights, the best sounds, the cool atmosphere, the comfiest seats, programs and events that serve us. What we do so often is we come into church, we consume, we consume, we consume, we consume, and we leave and we never do with anything that we've taken. We just sit on it. We just eat from whatever might be this program or this worship night or this or that, and we just never take it out into the life that we should be living for Christ and share it with the people around us. We are not living an abundant life for Christ. We have become a life of abundance. We are focusing on what we need and not what others need around us. And the church, unfortunately, the North American church, has missed the mark on this in a lot of different ways. We love to put Santa Claus on a helicopter and have him parachute for our Christmas cantata and all the kids will get saved at it and then we'll, we'll go about our merry way and we will never take the time to invest in our community because we're too invested pouring into this constantly. The seats, the consumeristic mindset and we have to stop. We have to understand that Murfreesboro friends, just Murfreesboro alone is broken. There is so much that happens in this city that a lot of us aren't even aware of. 
sex trafficking, homelessness, whatever it might be. This city is just as broken as the next, but we, we in this church are the ones that are planted here in this city to do something about it. So my talk today, I hope that you understand, I'm not beating you up, but I'm kind of bringing the idea that are we living in a life that is abundantly full of Christ or are we just living a life of abundance? Have we just taken things, identified ourselves with them and applied that to our lives and we never really do anything with it? Let's keep going. This is something that I wrote, but we chase the life that we think we need while we ignore the life we have been given. I'm about to throw a really cheesy analogy at you guys, so just bear with me, okay? Uh, the Matrix, 1999. Anybody with me? Yeah. I love movies, okay? Love film, love The Matrix. The second two are garbage. The first one's great. So there's a scene in The Matrix. This is so cheesy. I can't believe I'm doing this. There's a scene in The Matrix. Morpheus is like the wise old guru. He's been unplugged for a while. Like, dude knows everything about The Matrix. He's out of it. Like, Stick it to the man, Morpheus is my boy. You know what I'm saying? Like inspires me to like cut up my credit cards and unplug myself from the world, like Morpheus. And then we have Neo, the soon to be savior of the world. He doesn't know it yet at this point, but there's a scene, a beautiful scene and I love it. He's sitting in these comfy chairs and they're talking to each other and Morpheus pulls out his hand and he has two pills. He has a red pill and a blue pill in his hand. And he looks at, Morph or at Neo and he says, hey, if you take this red pill, you're gonna wake up. You're gonna see things for how they really are. No longer living in this ignorance, no longer living a life that you wanted. You are now gonna be aware of what's happening around you. You are now gonna be responsible for the people around you. You are gonna wake up. You're gonna be unplugged from the matrix. But if you take this blue pill, you can keep living your life exactly how it is. You will not remember any of this. You'll go back to who you were. Now, why did I share this example? Because this is what we do. We chase the life that we think we need. We take the blue pill and just keep going the direction we wanna go, just taking, 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 consuming, 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 doing our thing. When in reality, we should take this red pill, we should open our eyes, see the people around us that are hurting, see the community around us that's hurting, and we need to invest, we need to wake up, we need to go out, we need to fill up here so that we can go out there. We need to live the life that we have been given, and it has been given to us abundantly. So it's not like Jesus comes up to you and he says, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you this life. You're just gonna have a little bit of it. It's just, you know, you're only gonna have so much to pour out. He says, no, 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 I'm gonna give it to you abundantly so we can go out and do something great in this community. So we can change people's lives, so we can make his kingdom known on this earth. John 12, 25 says this, the one who loves his life will lose it and the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now this is a really simple breakdown of that, but loving your life is the world Losing your life is eternity. So the rest of this sermon, or whatever you want to call it, we're going to discuss the world and eternity. How we have a worldly mindset or we have an eternal mindset. How we look at the now, the temporary, how we look at forever. And the thing is, is that once we decide our perspective, it changes everything that we view. And it shows us the direction that we're going. And this is my favorite parable. One of my favorite parables in the Bible when Jesus speaks, it's Luke 18, 9 through 14, it's the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. In verse 9, it goes like this. He also told this parable to, someone, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, and he looked down on everyone else. Two men went up to the temple complex to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee took his stand and was praying like this, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax, tax collector, 
I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, turn your wrath from me, a sinner. I tell you this, this one went down to his house, justified, rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And here's the thing, the tax collector knew where his future was at, and it was in the eternal. He was standing before God and he was saying, God, take your wrath from me. I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I'm here. I'm praying to you. I'm talking to you. I'm searching after you. I want to know you more. And the Pharisee had, had, had settled into his position and that was of the world. He had taken the worldly focus and applied it to himself because now his eyes were set on the here and now, what was happening currently. He was focused on his prestige. He was focused on, on how scholarly he was or what he was wearing. He was focused on jug, judging the people around him. He was focused on the temporary. He was focused on the things that didn't matter. And what happens is he was focused on himself. He became self-centered, self-seeking, looking at God and being like, God, I twice, I fast twice a day. God, I give a tenth of everything that I earn. Look at what I do, God. Me, me, me. And he made it about himself and it became a self-serving mentality. When the tax collector, a man who people hated because he was literally taking money from his own people by the Roman government, is standing here beating his chest and saying, God, I can't even raise my eyes to you because I know my position with you. And I know that the eternal is more important than the world. And I know that where I'm at with you now is more important than where this Pharisee is at in his point. And then Jesus continues and says, he was justified in this and he went home. Not only that, but he says that those who focus on the world will be humbled. Those who focus on the eternal are good to go. They get it. It changes the perspective of how we treat God, of how we treat ourselves, how we treat the people around us. Because if we're focused on the here and now, it's all about us. What can we accrue? What kind of abundance can we take? What can I gain on this world? What, what is gonna make me important in this temporary life? And what's interesting is that all through scripture, it says that we're just foreigners passing through. This is a temporary place. This is not our home. Our home is eternity with Christ. That's where our home is. And once we have an eternal focus, we start to view people the way that Christ views people because now we get it, which means that they need to get it, which means that we need to show them that eternity is available to those who do not believe also. The love of Christ is available to all. Christ died on the cross for all. It's not just for us. The Pharisee had focused on the world and not eternity. And we focus on eternity, we focus on those around us too because we understand the importance of sharing the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a dramatic difference between the abundant and the eternal life Jesus offers and a pleasurable, self-centered, self-focused temporary life. The life Jesus offers never ends and is filled with hope that can never be taken. And that's crucial to know if we go back to John 10, 10, when it says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Those are very intense words, steal, kill, and destroy, scary words, action words, words that kind of incite fear. But then it continues and he will give life abundantly. What's amazing is that if we understand the eternal, and if we look at this premise that it never ends, that it's filled with hope that cannot be stolen from us, we do not have to be afraid of the steal, kill, and destroy. Satan can come at us with all that he has. This world can come at us with all that it has. We can, we can be tempted, we can be tried, we can be pressed, we can experience that perseverance in ways we didn't even understand. But if your foundation is on Jesus Christ, it's not going anywhere. 
The love of Christ is with you forever. Hope is with you forever. Even if you don't feel it now, you know it because your focus is not on the world and what's happening to you in your circumstances. It's focused on eternity and what's happening at the end of the finish line and that you're gonna run a good race and that Christ is gonna do something great through you and that through your trials, through your perseverance, you're gonna develop a testimony that you can now share with other people so that they can overcome. By the blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony, we will overcome. Do you know how many stories are in this room today? Do you know how many scars are in this room today? Do you know how much hurt in, the, in this room today? Just that wall alone right there, that this is my story wall, that is nothing but testimonies and people having Christ overcome in their life. Victory is what that is. And if we understand that he is victorious in our lives, we don't have to fear the thief. We don't have to worry when the storm comes. We can sit there even in the pain and we can know that God is good. We can know that he has got us. We, we, we can know that this storm will pass. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, though I fear no evil for the Lord guides me. Even in the darkest valleys, he's there with you. And this is crucial to know that this hope does not run out. And if you set your world on the temp, or if you set your eyes on the temporary, you're gonna be left empty. You're gonna be left wanting. You're gonna be left desiring because it's never enough the abundance, the plentifulness of this world, you will always want more, 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 more. John 8, 12 says this, then Jesus spoke to them again, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is just a hammer my point home even more. If we follow and we walk towards Jesus, darkness cannot envelop us. We become a beacon of hope. We become a city set on a hill. We become a light. And just by simple science, wherever there is a light source, darkness cannot reside. So wherever Jesus is inside of you, darkness cannot overtake you. Will you walk into dark places? Absolutely, but will you provide light? Yes. Will you walk into your workplace tomorrow morning? Will you walk into a dark place where people don't believe in Christ? Absolutely. I get jealous sometimes because I've become, I'm part of the church world. And if you don't understand working at a church, sometimes it segregates you from from the non-believers, if you will. I would love to sit down and just have a conversation with an atheist. Very rarely does that happen. But you guys in this church, you get the opportunity all the time to walk into your workplace and just be you, a Christ follower, and potentially invest in someone and love on someone and change someone who does not have the same viewpoint as you. That is crucial to understand that every single day you're given an opportunity to have the light of life in darkness. And that it's so important that we accept this over ourselves, that we accept this life-giving abundance to us so that we can give it out abundantly to those around us, strongly, passionate, without stopping, forceful. Not in a mean way, of course. We're not gonna go hit people in the head with Bibles. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Gotta stay normal. Light of life. And this verse is very self-explanatory. Mark 8, 36, for what does it benefit a man to gain the whole world? yet lose his life. There's a, there's a guy on Instagram who's very famous. He has like some million followers or something. This man made all his money in poker, uh, poker champion, so wealthy, so, so wealthy, attractive dude, like does whatever he wants, lives his crazy life, okay, crazy life. Uh, has every car you can imagine. Uh, he, he's like a gun aficionado, like buys every gun, like super illegal guns, like does whatever he wants. He lives the life, okay, if you can imagine the, the life, he lives it. He flies on planes, has beautiful models around him all the time, just does whatever he wants, whenever he wants. So I was scrolling through Instagram one time and I saw a small video by him. I don't follow him because his Instagram is, is just trash, but um, 
that was mean. It was, I saw a video for him, and it was about a minute and a half, and I was curious, so I clicked on it, and it was just him on a table just talking, and this man was making a point that he was miserable. <laughs> Has everything in the world, more money than you can imagine. There was one time he was literally traveling out of another country. He had too much of their currency. He had to go back and spend it before they let him leave the country. That's what the kind of life this guy lives, okay? He made this video sitting back in his chair and he was like, I'm miserable. He's like, I've reached a point where if I ride in a normal car, let's take my Nissan Versa, for example. If I ride in a normal car, I feel lower. I feel like a lower human being. He said, I can't eat a normal meal anymore because I eat at five-star Michelin restaurants every night. Like when we think about this man who has everything in the universe, he says that he can't even enjoy sex anymore because he has had it with these beautiful models anytime he wants, whenever he wants. So we think, we like, man, I wanna live this lavish life. I wanna, I wanna have money just out the wazoo. I wanna do whatever I want, whenever I want. I wanna fly in the jets. I want the models. I want this life. I want this abundance in life. And this man's sitting here and he's like, I'm miserable. Man can't even enjoy a home-cooked meal because he has been so lavished and he's aware of it. So my heart broke for this guy because at this point he has gained the world, but he has lost his life. He's not physically dead, but internally he is dead. He doesn't, he doesn't understand an intimate relationship. He doesn't understand what it's like to have real friends. He doesn't understand what it's like to have a home cooked meal and to sit around a table with family. This man has lost it all. And he's talking about it to the world. He's like, money does not buy happiness. And he's like, I'm at a point where I am so unhappy. My own money, my own things bring me nothing. And this is the world that we live in that it says more is better, more sex, more friends, more Instagram followers, more house, more money, whatever it might be. This is gonna make you feel fulfilled, more prestige at work, more promotions, whatever it might be is gonna make you feel good. The man that literally has it all says, no, it does not. What would happen to him if he was brought into a home, sat down and cooked a home cooked meal and just sat with people that really loved him? I could suffice to say that man would break down. I read a study one time that, that parents and, and families that eat around a dinner table at least once or twice a week, depression, suicidal thoughts, anxiety, all of it drop in their students and in their teenagers' lives simply because of a home cooked meal being ate together. So Callie and I try to go out of our way and students that have really broken home lives, we'll have them over and have dinner with them occasionally. We'll, we won't order pizza, we won't get takeout, we will make the meal, Callie and I ourselves. And not to boast on myself, but I read that statistic and I'm like, we have to do something about this. Students that eat TV dinners up in their bedroom without their parents. I'm not saying that to rag on you guys, but if you get a chance, if you're a parent of teenagers in here, eat dinner with your students, because that's relational. That's living life abundantly and that's living an abundant life to others. Okay, that's my teenager stick, I'll get off of it. Philippians 1, 21 through 27, Paul speaks, I love Paul. Living is Christ, so verse 21. For me, living is Christ and dying is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me and I don't know which one I should choose. I am pressured by both. I have the desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that because of me, your confidence may grow in Christ Jesus when I come to you again. Just one thing, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you and that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, working side by side for the faith that comes from the gospel.
And right here, if I could dissect this at all, we should be torn. Paul desires to be in the eternal with Christ because he is so in love with his savior. He's been so radically changed and defined by what Christ has done in his life that Paul is so in love with Jesus Christ that he wants nothing more than to be with his creator. He wants to be in the presence of God because he is so in love with Jesus. But then he continues on and he says, however, he understands that he still has a life to live here for Christ so that others may benefit from it. And I think that we should adopt this into our lifestyle, this, this small little passionate portion of what Paul's talking about, that we should be so in love with Jesus. We should be so in love with Christ that we desire to be with him, that we desire to lock eyes with him, that we desire to spend eternity with him. But we also need to know that our life lived on this earth should be meaningful, purposeful, and it should be full of truth and holiness so that other might, others might benefit from it that we go out of our way for the people that we interact with every single day. Jesus says that our life is but a vapor. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow, it's boom, gone. We'll be lucky to have 80 to 90 years on this earth. At best, we'll have 120, because that's kind of where it caps off in scripture. Our life is short in comparison to eternity. And I don't know if you guys know, we have a lot of work to do. We have a lot of people to impact. We have a lot of love to share. And we have to be gospel focused. We have to go out of our way for the people in our community. We have to be so in love with Jesus. We wanna spend time with him. We wanna read, we wanna study, we wanna worship. We wanna see his face one day, but we also have to know that other people need to experience that too. That's the great commission. That's loving God, that's loving your neighbor. We see that our lives imitating that of Christ is so crucial to those around us. If we look like Christ, if we go into dark places, if we go into negative places, Gosh, I worked in retail for so long, one of the most negative environments I've ever been in. And if you work in food industry, you can multiply that by 500, okay? Waiters in the room, you feel me? Negativity, complaining. And I have this theory, young people in the room, if you have an opportunity to walk into your workplace and be positive, do your work well, you alone don't have to say anything about Jesus because he's gonna shine through you in that place, 100% you will be the difference in that workplace. Not to boast of myself, but I worked at Old Navy for a little while. I actually miss it some days because I like the nine to five monotony folding shirts and stuff. I worked at Old Navy for a long time and I worked the early morning shift. Uh, it, was, it was 4 a.m. to 1 p.m. And I was in the back room and, and people would just come in so tired, I'm so tired, I'm so, I hate this place, blah, blah, blah. And I, I would try because when negativity arises, you want to join in because it makes you feel like a part of the team. Like I get it, it's hard to be positive. Negativity is far more contagious than positivity. But I would force myself, I'd be like, no, Corey, we're gonna pep this team up. We're gonna fold some shirts. We're gonna do this thing. And it's gonna be a good day. And I'd go in and be like, all right, guys, let's do I was like that annoying guy that nobody wanted to be around because they're like, it's too early in the morning, stop. But I would bring like coffee in, like I'd hang out with these people, like I'd turn the music on, like we'd be jamming. And I can promise you, not because of me, but because Christ was in me, the whole atmosphere changed. Our productivity went up. We got things done faster. We, we actually got to go home earlier because we were working harder. You gotta understand, a simple change in our mindset can affect everyone you're around. So crucial. We have got to imitate Christ in every aspect of our lives, not just at church. Philippians 2, 1 through 11 says this. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy fulfill my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, sharing the same feelings, focusing on one goal, do nothing out of rivalry, conceit, but in humi humility, considers others, consider others 
as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interest, but for the interests of others. And we're given these blueprints of what it looks like to model a life imitating Christ, full of Christ. We don't do anything out of rivalry. We don't do anything out of conceit. We don't do anything out of malice or, or anger. We do it out of love. And then we continue forward and push into the people around us that they might know Christ. And we look out for other people's interests more than our own. The idea that we become sacrificial in our love. And then we continue with verse 5 through 11. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And, we had, and when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This reminds us of the sacrifice Christ made for us so that we might have life and have it abundantly. No longer do we fill ourselves with this abundance life of things and temporary lifestyles and things that make us feel good about ourselves, but we understand that he died on a cross for us, that this life is giving abundantly through his sacrifice so that we can be free, that even death was defeated through him, that we don't have to fear that, that we can walk in his light knowing that he is victorious. And we were reminded of the life that he lived and sacrificed for us. And then finally, one of my favorite verses in all the scriptures, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. I'm surprised I haven't gotten tattooed on me yet. But that was a joke. Okay. You guys are laughing. I like it. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For a momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And this just hammers home everything that I've been speaking about. We live in the temporary so often. We jump from one thing to the next looking for fulfillment. Our culture tells us that we can never have enough, that we need more, 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 and that's gonna make you feel better about who you are, more affirmation, more prestige, more money, more things, more whatever it is. It's gonna make you feel good about yourself, but he says he's enough. And then Paul reminds us in this moment that we do not give up. Even when it gets tough, we do not give up. We do not lose heart. Even when things get rough, even when we have focused on the world and now our world is crumbling, we've got to look to what is unseen because that's where our foundation will be built. That's where our hope will be found and that hope will never run out because it is Jesus Christ who died for us and sacrificed himself that we might have an eternal hope in him. We have got to understand that there is the world and then there is eternity. If we focus on the world, we become blinded. If we focus on the eternal, we begin to see people the way that Christ sees them. And we begin to go out of our way for those in our community. We begin to focus not just on the here and now, but what's to come. We point ourselves towards Jesus. An eternal mindset is crucial to living the Christian faith to following Jesus, to knowing what he has for us, to sharing the good news, to understanding that this is not our final resting place, that we have hope in a better tomorrow, even when it's the worst, even when it's the worst.
This is my last slide. Does your life, your actions, your hope, your faith reflect a life that is set in the eternal? Do you have an eternity mindset? Are you living a life that is abundantly full of Christ so that your abundance might pour out? Are we just accumulating a lot? Are we just being plentiful with our things? Are we just focusing on this world to make us feel good until we reach the finish line? Look, here's the thing about this. If we focus on the temporary, do we just simply chase the temporary and what we can see? If we focus on this thing, that's a wide path. That option is very easy. The blue pill, if you will, is an easy option. We can fill ourselves up with things all day, all day. But I promise you, whenever something breaks, whenever something goes wrong, whenever your faith in whatever it is that is not Christ fails you, it's not gonna be fun. Because what's beautiful about Jesus is even when we fall, he is there to pick us back up. And even when we do fall, his foundation is beneath us. There's nowhere else we have to go but into his arms because we trust in him and nothing else. Our identity is found in Christ. Our hope is found in Christ. Our actions is modeled by Christ. Our life now looks like a life that Christ would give abundantly. And our abundance will pour over into every facet of our life, our work, our home, whatever it might be, because Christ is filling us up. It's no longer the world that is giving us empty promises and false hope. It's now Jesus saying, everything I say is truth. You will be holy as I am holy. This is crucial to living a life that is abundant. And what we've done is we say, hey, come pray, ask for that yacht or that Lamborghini, God's gonna bring it your way. I'm sorry, it's not gonna happen. I've tried, like God, I, I really want a Lamborghini. Nowhere, I got a Nissan Cube, okay? So, <laughs> tomato, tomato, that's what I say. So, does your life reflect a life that is abundantly full of Christ? Now, um, what's the time? We're good, you guys can stay. I'm gonna tell a quick story, okay? <laughs> I love my wife. Callie Drake, uh, she gets embarrassed every time I tell this story. My students have already heard it if they're in the room, but uh, you guys have not, so I'm gonna share. Uh, we've been married four years this past week and uh, love her so much. She is the yin to my yang. Like, she's the polar opposite in me in every way. Like, doesn't meet a stranger, has a crazy energy. Like, she's the wild stallion and I'm boring introvert Corey Drake. You know, like, I'm an only child. I like my alone time. Like, that's me. And Callie's like, let's go do something. Like, she just went skydiving last week and I was like, I can't even go watch you do that. I can't be a part of that. Like, that's my wife, okay? Polar opposite. Like, has no fear. No fear. Um, she wants to get her own motorcycle. Like, that's how crazy she is. Like, I ride, she's wanting to ride now. And I'm like, no, we're not doing that. So anyway, we were at the mall, uh, Opry Mills. I don't know who goes to Opry Mills anymore. We do, apparently. We were at Opry Mills, and we were in a store, and we were just shopping, looking around, whatever. We were bored, and um, she's just finding some clothes, and she comes up to me. She's like, hey, I'm going to get this. I'm going to check out. I'm like, cool, do your thing. So I'm over here looking at some shorts or something, and and I'm like, it's taken her forever. Like, I feel like she's been in line forever. And I turn around to look at the register and my wife is around the counter embracing the girl, the retail register girl, like holding her. And I'm just like, I just wanted some shorts. Like, <laughs> why are we here? Like, what is happening? What is happening? And if you know anything about my wife, everywhere she goes, she makes a friend. Like we cannot have dinner without, without inviting the waitress or the waiter, like sit down with us and learn their life story. Like this is my wife. So they're embracing it at PacSun, like holding each other. And, and there's like other people in line that are clearly frustrated, like what's happening? Like these two people are hugging and I just wanna buy my shorts, you know? And 
So Callie, they're done hugging or whatever. She walks over to me and she's like, we got to go. I'm like, where are we going? <laughs> like, what? what? So we walk out and there's a Starbucks right outside of it. She's like, we're going to buy that girl a coffee. I was like, you do you, baby boo. Like, whatever you need. <laughs> like, let's do your thing. So I'm like, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? So she, she doesn't tell me anything. I'm in the dark the whole time. So she buys this girl a coffee. We go back in. The store's calmed down. Like, she's, she doesn't have anybody in line. And again, I'm just being introvert self. Like, I'm just like, like Callie's the better Christian in this, in this moment because she's, she's doing all the Christ-like things. And I'm just kind of standing back observing. Come to find out, Callie's done talking. They exchange information, whatever. Um, the girl's 19, and she had just broken up with her boyfriend. And that sounds trivial and small, but in her world, that was her hurt in that time. You know, that's where her pain was. She had just gotten out of a relationship. It's not fun. <laughs> if you've ever been broken up with, I don't know anyone that should have been like, that was fun. <laughs> like, not fun. So this girl literally cried into Callie's shoulder that day. And, and I said, what did you say to her when you got up to the, to the register? And she's like, I literally, Corey just asked her how her day was. She said, I, I just walked up and said, how are you doing today? And tears flowed and thus the, the hugging ensued. <laughs> you know, so not to boast on my wife, but, but in that moment, and I've shared this story so many times, but in that moment, I saw what it was like to live a life that is Christ-filled, a life that is abundantly like Jesus. And I saw a, a moment when we didn't pull out scripture, we didn't beat this girl over the head with a Bible, we didn't shove our church down her throat, we didn't do any of these things. Callie simply went out of her way to ask this girl how her day was and a conversation and a relationship formed. Now why am I sharing this with you? I'm sharing this with you because that is a life abundantly lived and that is Christ pouring out of you. How many opportunities a day do we have that same chance? How many baristas at Starbucks do we talk to who are just having a terrible day? How many waitresses and waiters have been tipped poorly that day and they're just in a bad mood? How many people do you run into the gas station or maybe even in the lobby at this church that have just had a terrible month and all they need is someone to be like, hey, how are you? What can I do for you? Can I take you to lunch? And thus, we have formed a life that is abundantly full of Christ because it is no longer about us, but it is pouring out into the people around us. So here's my challenge for you today. When we go back to work tomorrow, when we go back to our nine to five grind, when we go back to our workplaces or coffee shops or whatever it might be, be aware of your surroundings and have an eternal mindset in the idea, what can I do for the kingdom of God today? Who can I love on? Who can I leave a note for? Who can I brag on or encourage? Who can I go out of my way today and that their day, just their day, may be changed? We've made Christianity so difficult that we have to have all the answers. We have to, we have to be the most scholarly or we have, to, we have to force feed scripture to people when in reality, Jesus just walked up to people and started conversation. Jesus did this. Why should we do any different? I love you guys and I'm honored to be able to speak to you today. And I just hope that we can live a life that's abundantly full of Christ and not just a life of abundance because that always leaves us empty. Bow your heads with me, I'm gonna pray. God, I'm so thankful for this opportunity to be on this stage, God, and, and to share. And Lord, in this moment, I understand that I am the least of these in this room, God, that this, these people have so much to offer this city and this community. And, God, that, that we can literally flip Murfreesboro upside down, not through great events, not through huge, huge gatherings, but just simply by going into our community and viewing it as an eternal battle. 
We stop focusing on the world and we focus on what you have for us that day and what you have for us in eternity. So Jesus, today, if people are walking in storms, if people are hurt, if people are in pain, if people are struggling with addictions, if people think that they're unlovable or unforgivable or God, wherever we might be in this room tonight, I pray today, I pray that we can stop for a second and we can look you in the eyes and say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. If you're an unbeliever in this room today and you don't know, you're just kind of questioning it, like, I just wanna encourage you, maybe just like, God, show yourself to me. I wanna see what this life abundantly looks like. If you've been hurt, if someone has hurt you, if a church has hurt you, if, if you're just kind of sitting in this like hurt and you don't know how to get out of it, I wanna ask that you just ask God to give you a new perspective on life that maybe, maybe he's gonna pull you out of this and he's gonna do something great with you. If you just feel like you've just been in a valley for so long, I wanna ask that you just unpack your camp and start walking. Start walking towards him. He's gonna bring you out of it, even if it takes a little bit. Sometimes it's not overnight. Sometimes it takes a few weeks. Sometimes it takes people investing and sharpening us. Sometimes it takes hearing the hard truth that we've been living in a worldly mindset when in reality we need to focus on the eternal and what Christ has for us. So God, I pray today that we can bring your kingdom down. I pray today that we can go out in this community and love on the people around us. I pray today that we can live a life that is so abundantly full of you that it just pours out into every facet of our life. God, give these people strength today. God, show them that they are loved. Show them that your forgiveness is unending, that your mercy is unwavering, God, and that your grace is available for all. God, I love you so much. I love this church so much. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Before you guys go, we have communion all around the room. It just represents the blood and the body of Christ as it was broken for us. We just ask that you ask for forgiveness before you take it, and you guys can have the room. It's yours. We'll have prayer up on my left and your right. Thank you guys so much.